Welcome to the Word on Wednesday podcast for January 26. My name is John Mason. Thank you for joining us. This week, a friend sent me a copy of the book, That Was the Church That Was, How the Church of England Lost the English People. Written by Andrew Brown, an English journalist, and Linda Woodhead, Professor of Politics, Philosophy and Religion at Lancaster University, England, it was published in 2016. Providing a harsh critique of the state of the Church of England over the last 30 years or so, it suggests that only a broad church will slow the decline. While my purpose here is not to review the book, I was surprised that little attention is given to the biblical and theological issues that lie at the heart of the nature and meaning of church. With this in mind, come with me to a section of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, that begins at verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him, and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town, and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Luke, the Gospel writer, wants us to feel the rhetorical impact of his narrative about Jesus. He slows down the pace of his writing through a cluster of verbs. Jesus stood up to read. There was given to him. He opened the book and found. Our sense of anticipation that something significant was about to happen is sparked with Luke's comment. And Jesus closed the book and gave it to the attendant, and sat down. We're drawn into the synagogue scene, and the congregation who were listening attentively to Jesus. The reading from Isaiah chapter 61 would have touched a chord with Jesus' hearers. 
It had been some 400 years since God's prophets had last spoken. But now Jesus is saying that Isaiah's words were fulfilled in him. His hearers that day were positive and astonished. But then they asked, Is not this Joseph's son? Conscious that they expected him to use his miraculous powers to authenticate his messianic claim, he responded, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we've heard you did at Capernaum. Just because he had performed miracles in Capernaum didn't mean he would do the same in Nazareth. It depended on how they received him. Jesus continued with illustrations from Elijah and Elisha. Both prophets spoke of God's goodness. However, because the Jewish people at the time refused to acknowledge God, it was only outsiders, non-Jewish people, who benefited from their divinely inspired ministry. A widow in Zarephath and Naaman the Syrian, a leper. Jesus' listeners in the synagogue also rejected him. They weren't prepared to acknowledge him as the one who fulfilled the promise of Isaiah chapter 61. Indeed, they were so angry they even tried to kill him by throwing him over a cliff. Ironically, there was a miracle that day. Jesus walked through them and away from danger. Significantly, he didn't give up his mission, even though he was rejected in his hometown. The heart of the gospel of which Jesus spoke is the rule of God's king, his kingdom. We can begin to see why the preaching of the first Christians would have rankled with the Jewish leadership as well as imperial Rome, as it often does with some rulers today. The Christian gospel says that human authorities in every age are themselves not the final authority. As the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6 and verse 4 tells us, there is only one God who is Lord of all. The good news of Christianity is not simply an abstract announcement, nor is it simply care and compassion. Christianity is grounded in the recorded historical events of Jesus' life, from his miraculous birth through to the events of his death and resurrection and ascension. Paul the Apostle summarizes the substance of the faith in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15 and verses 3 through 8. He speaks of Jesus as the Christ, God's anointed King. He explains that God's King came to rescue us. He died for us. And this picks up a theme we find in Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 through 31. God not only made us in his image, but committed himself to serve our best interests. Paul the Apostle affirms that Jesus was truly dead when he was taken from the cross and buried. He also tells us that Jesus was raised from the dead. God reversed the decision of human courts that sentenced Jesus to death 
by raising him to life. Furthermore, Paul assures us that more than 500 had seen Jesus physically alive. In other words, out of the silence God had not only spoken, but come amongst us in person. Christianity didn't start because a group of fanatics had invented a story about their hero, or because a group of philosophers had come to the same conclusions about life. It began with eyewitnesses, very ordinary men and women who testified to the life of a man whose nature and powers were demonstrably far beyond human imagination. But such is the nature of this man, that unlike anyone else who has died, he is now alive again. What then lies at the heart of Christianity that the Church espouses? It is the good news that God has appointed Jesus Christ as the Lord, who came to our rescue and who calls on us to turn to Him in repentance and faith. Where then is the hope for the future? In church as an institution or its structures? A key to the growth of the church is all its people, clerical and lay, people who know the Lord and whose lives are being changed for the better, people who care for the needy and the lost, people whose joyful faith spills over in a way that others want to learn more. Speaking of which, have you checked out the Word One-to-One, an annotated version of John's Gospel, to share with family and friends? You can find it at www.theword121.com So let me pray. Lord Christ, eternal Word and light of the Father's glory, send your light and your truth, so that we may both know and proclaim your Word of life to the glory of God the Father. For you now live and reign, God, for all eternity. Amen.
Lord, you have taught us that whatever we do without love is worth nothing. Send your Holy Spirit and pour into our hearts that most excellent gift of love, the true bond of peace and of all virtues, without which whoever lives is counted dead before you. Grant this for the sake of your only Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. A prayer for peace. God of the nations, whose kingdom rules over all, have mercy on our broken and divided world. Shed abroad your peace in the hearts of all men and women, and banish from them the spirit that makes for war, so that all races and people may learn to live as members of one family and in obedience to your laws. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Those involved in today's podcast are John Mason, speaker and writer, and April Marks, a member of Christ Church San Francisco. Prayers are from an Australian prayer book, 1978, and the opening and concluding music is from St Andrew's Cathedral, Sydney. The song, May the Peoples Praise You, is used with the kind permission of Getty Music. Please let us know if you have a question or a comment about this podcast. We'd love to hear from you.